Welcome to the Hero Maker Podcast. I'm Andrea Shreeman, writer, director, EP, living in LA. I'm Jennifer Morrison, and I currently serve as the Commissioner of Public Safety for the state of Vermont. We are here to seek out and tell the full story of our friends who were murdered in college, Rachel Raver and Warren Fulton III. We really need to make sure that their deaths were not in vain and that every possible lesson and improvement for the system can be squeezed from the retelling of the circumstances that ultimately led to the identification of their killer. Welcome to case update number four. Hi, Jen. Hi, Andrea. Are you ready to break down the first four episodes of season two? Let's do it. Okay. Well, in episodes 17 through 20, we met with three folks directly associated with Rachel and Warren's case. We talked to Tom Jackman. He's a two-time Pulitzer Prize winning Washington Post journalist who covered Rachel and Warren's case from the year 2000 when their murders were linked to the death of Tina Jefferson all the way through their killer's execution in 2015. Which he attended. Yes, correct. We also spoke with Ray Molusky who was the jury foreman for Warren and Rachel's second trial. And we spoke with the mother of one of Prieto's West Coast victims. Finally, in this segment of episodes, we spoke with Trisha Allen, who's doing great work in and around the city of Dallas with her organization, No More Violence. Jen, before we share our expanded learning around our friend's case during episodes 17 through 20, I thought we could share a brief update about Trisha and the work of her organization, No More Violence. Sure. So we spoke to Patricia in episode 19, and she is really doing incredible work for families that have lost a child to violence. She told us she's often present at the time of the death notification. No more violence walks with families from the moment they lose a child to violence and stays with them throughout the years, filling the gaps where public services are not available. And that really means anything the family might need, food, clothing, finding a church home, helping with funerals and wakes, and celebrating anniversaries and birthdays of lost loved ones. And one of the main principles for No More Violence is pulling a community together around the family to let them know they are not alone in their grief. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Patricia is a true angel walking the earth. But I guess in hero maker parlance, what do we say? Well, there's no doubt that Patricia is among the hidden heroes we have met so far. Yeah. Thank you, Patricia. So in episode 17, we shared a long-awaited conversation with Tom Jackman, who has been a criminal justice reporter for the Washington Post for over two decades. Yep. And before the Washington Post, he was at the Kansas City Star. He is a criminal justice reporting rock star. Tom started covering Rachel and Warren's case in 2000 when it was first announced that Arlington County found a crime scene DNA match to our friend's case in Fairfax County. Along the way, he developed relationships with many professionals involved in the case so that by the time they got to the trial, he knew the district attorneys, he knew the defense attorneys, he knew the victim's advocates, the investigators, and of course met many of the family members involved too. Including the Ravers, the Jeffersons, and even some of Prieto's family members. Mm -hmm. And he wrote about the case for 15 years. What really stuck with me from our conversation with Tom was the arc of his integrity as a journalist that he shared with us. He described what it was like reporting in the early days before he was married and had children, and how once he became a family man, he began connecting with people's pain and, and choosing his words much more carefully. Tom shared that there was a sea change around 2000 for him personally, 
where he started to want to know more about the victims and the lives they lived before the story. Mm. Yeah, you know, without Tom, I'm not sure there would even be a Hero Maker podcast. So thank you, Tom. He was very generous early on when I first started researching these events to share his notes and talk to me whenever I reached out. Well, and the fact that he's still talking to us is a good sign. Oh, yes. <laughs> we love you, Tom. So next, in episode 18, we spoke with Stacy Segrist's mother, who shared in a very raw dialogue her deep feelings of grief for having lost her daughter in this very horrific way. And it seemed like for many years, but especially in the early days, she was searching for some way to channel her confusion and anger. She was basically conducting her own investigation, following her own gut and intuition and staying current on all the violence and deaths in her surrounding area. I could never begin to understand the depth of her grief. All these years later, it was raw and we felt it. I will say that in my years as a police officer, I saw a lot of tragedy and sudden violent loss can certainly send people in a lot of unpredictable directions. But I want to emphasize that I would never advocate for survivors to put themselves in harm's way the way Stacy's mom did. Yes, she shared that she tracked down her daughter's boyfriend's car. She was able to do that. He was also murdered in the event. She went out late at night to places that she thought she might find the killers. She even knocked on the front door of a known gang house and she saw Alfredo Prieto there. She like made eye contact with him. <laughs> yeah, this interview was full of new information for me. Discovering details of the double homicide of Tony Gianuzzi and Stacy Seagrest, who were found in Rubido, California, on May 5th, 1990. Mm -hmm. And Stacy was raped? Yeah, thank you. We discovered that the two, Stacy and Tony, were potentially involved in moving drug product as part of a gang operation. The conversation with Stacy's mother in episode 18, we should let our audience know, carries a trigger warning. It gets into some difficult material. She and her family have been through a lot, and she was very generous with us sharing her recollections. Then finally, in episode 20, we spoke with jury foreman Ray Molesky, and boy, did he give us a great window into the jury process. I found it very healing for him to share all those little details about being in the courtroom and carrying out the incredible responsibility of not only coming to a verdict, but also recommending the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And I remember that you mentioned something called process equity, something I've never heard that phrase before, makes total sense, where he was able to run the jury deliberations in a way that gave all the members equal time to contribute their thoughts and questions. That's a tough thing to do. You know how there's always a few people in a group who tend to dominate the conversation, but Ray didn't allow that. He told us that he had previously served on one other jury that was a hot mess, and he walked in determined that the Raver-Fulton trial would not be the same. And then they picked him as the foreman, and he really took that responsibility seriously. He did. Ray was so great to talk with. Professionally, he was an electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. He told us for naval intelligence and then homeland security. So not your average electrical engineer. <laughs> he was very detail-oriented and methodical, not only in our conversation, but also as the foreman. But yeah, even so, we talked quite a bit about how the horrific images that the jury was subjected to of dead bodies and such have never gone away. And geez, do I understand what he meant. I have a whole catalog of them in my brain and nope, they never go away. Hmm. 
Well, seeing those images, I guess, also inspired an empathy that connected him on a personal level and a lasting level with the Raver family. Yeah, one real surprise was that Ray was invited by the Ravers to attend Prieto's execution, and he did. He witnessed Alfredo Prieto's death, a death that he and his jury ordained. Yeah, and he was detailed and kind of dry about what that process was like, but it's something you never forget. I mean, he shared that part in our conversation like it was yesterday. Thank you, Ray. And thanks to all the other jurors out there for the good work you did and for speaking with us. And a big thank you to all of our guests, all of you. Season two is off to an incredible start. And man, do we have some unbelievable episodes coming up. Yeah, stay tuned, everyone. Thanks for listening. We're so grateful you're following along. This has already been an incredible healing journey for Andrea and myself. Thank you for all your reviews and for sharing this important story. It matters to us a great deal that you are part of the Hero Maker family. Also, if you were involved in any of these events in any way, we want to hear from you. We're here to give everyone a voice, to share their unique point of view and experience. Yep. Please email us at media at theheromakerpodcast.com. Jennifer, until next time. Andrea and everyone, remember to stay safe and take care of each other. Thanks to sound mixer and podcast producer, Michael Doherty, sound designer, Andy Bill of Submachine Audio, and graphic designer, Jungleen Bay. Thanks also to me, hero maker, director, and producer, Andrea Schreeman. Please subscribe to the show where you listen to podcasts and take a moment to rate us. It really helps the podcast grow. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Hero Maker Pod. Want to collaborate or suggest a guest? please email us at media at theheromakerpodcast.com. The Hero Maker Podcast is a production of Prudent Pictures. Thank you so much for listening.